0: Welcome to Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. This podcast is for people who want to learn how to thrive with a disability. It is also designed to share insights for those who have friends or family with a disability. Brad Gabrielson, our host, was born with cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair for mobility. Is a North Dakota native and believes life is about managing challenges with understanding, mental toughness, and determination.
1: Welcome to another episode of Living with a Living with the Disability No Big Deal podcast. My name is Brad Gabrielson and we have a guest today. Her name is Judy Sigley Ahmed. And Greg and Jennifer from roll is here today. Hi, guys.
2: Hello,
0: Brad. Hi so happy to be back. Yeah, it's been a long year. It has. Well, it a long year already. Well, well today we're really excited to have a, a very fun, interesting guest, um, Judy. Um, one moment can change a life forever. On August 11th, 1979, Judy experienced one such moment. At 18 years old, she was preparing for a typical college experience while fulfilling her goal of playing college basketball when a drunk driver sped through a stop sign and shattered Judy's dreams. With a spinal cord injury, her life changed from anticipating a bright future to facing life in a wheelchair. And with that, I think we will start asking some questions uh, the initial one that we had was Judy. Can you explain the initial accident and diagnosis?
2: Yeah, the, the accident um, took place uh, in the middle of the night actually um, and involved a car of kids who were drinking and driving. Uh, they ran through a stop sign and um, our cars collided. Um, I actually uh, was not wearing a seatbelt. I wear my seatbelt today and was thrown from the car. Uh, and I ended up breaking my neck. Um, My injury was uh, uh, between my fifth and sixth cervical vertebrae. So initially I was paralyzed from the shoulders down. When I was conscious, years later I had movement of my arms, but nothing in my hands uh, or below at that time. So so what
0: was the hardest thing to overcome with the transition?
2: um, You know, Actually, initially, also in the accident, I sustained a mild traumatic brain injury. Uh, Four years ago, they called it a concussion today, mild TBI. But actually, that was a blessing because it took me out of it um, for the first weeks. Um, it was gradual finding out the situation that I was in. The the, the hardest part of that transition, looking at, there there wasn't, because of that brain injury period, there wasn't the sudden blow of being able-bodied one moment to looking at life in the wheelchair uh, the next. It was gradual finding out, uh, learning about the accident. I don't remember the accident at all. Uh, and so um, it was gradual finding out the situation that I was in. Uh, I, I think understandably there was um, a, a grief, uh, the loss of hopes and dreams that um, that this injury was going to mean for my life. I was 18, just going to be um, starting college in a few weeks and, and yeah. um, life w- was different, uh, going to be different. And I, I didn't have really a frame of reference uh, to connect with.
3: So you, Judy, were basically, it sounds like with this, uh, which probably would have been a pretty bad concussion or a traumatic brain injury, you don't remember the accident, which is pretty pretty much a blessing, I think. Uh, you don't remember being probably, you know, at the scene. And then you were pretty much out of it for like a week or so, weren't you?
2: Actually, weeks. Um, it was, wow. I was in and out of consciousness. And then weeks, I had some, um, about three or four weeks where I was quite confused. And actually, that was a blessing because when i when i came out of that brain injury period my support system my my family um, was at my side i wasn't going to die they were strong behind me and actually i immediately went back to the belief system that i had before the accident and and i've been raised in a christian home and i thought well i've learned god was going with me and so i thought well god's going with me here i'll just meet this challenge as i had other challenges and so actually my days um, were positive you know, got was getting into therapy and um, my struggle really i actually um, had a psychiatrist pull in on my case because I, I was, I was just so positive, I wasn't grieving. Um, my struggle though, uh, really came out at night with difficulty sleeping and nightmares. Um, uh. and very um, restless nights, and it all actually came down to one particular morning. And during this, uh, this occupational therapy session, we would always listen to the Concordia Chapel on the radio. I was supposed to have been a freshman at Concordia that fall. And uh, this particular morning, I started listening to the the chapel and just, I don't remember the message, but I immediately thought of Concordia and the kids and the books and the girls basketball. I I was going to be playing basketball there. And here I was in the hospital struggling to feed myself with even adaptive equipment. And it was like reality hit during the psychopatial therapy session. And I broke down crying. Um, I ended up calling actually Concordia's campus pastor to the hospital that night Uh, and I remember he said Judy there's going to be many more times you're going to feel frustrated you're going to feel hurt Uh, just believing in God doesn't mean that we're not going to have those emotions but he said if you can share with God just talk to him uh, let out what's going on inside then you can deal with those thoughts emotionally and that talk actually totally ended my nightmares Really? Um, Yeah. So that was kind of that major adjustment of just realizing, you know, things are going to be different. Yeah. Grieving the loss of just those initial hopes and dreams that you have um, for for a full life and going to college with with a healthy body.
3: Well, there's no there's no uh, way to, you know, to ever be prepared for something that happens in the blink of an eye from being you know, quote unquote, normal and active and whatever, to then being completely, you know, laying there in the bed. I remember just like, I just kept saying my name. I said, I can't believe that Greg Maul is paralyzed as I just had, you know, this disbelief that how can this be? Right. And so it it surely is a a hard thing on on the mind to, to get around and But it sounds like you had uh, quite an inspiring uh, outlook initially that it sounds like you didn't really take time to get way down in the dumps and be all negative about it, which is very easy to do is to wonder, you know, why me and now I'm kind of screwed and, but I think that positive attitude really help to keep you going in an upward direction I think as especially through those uh, <laughs> those grueling days of PT which I imagine were uh, those first months must have been just grueling for for physical therapy
2: and you know as an athlete I, I I loved it and I got into it and so that was really actually a good thing to channel myself my energy into um, just as an athlete I knew that You know, success didn't just happen overnight, but it was a daily process of getting stronger. Um, With my injury, it is also an incomplete spinal cord injury. So actually, it was about um, two months after that accident when the fingers on my left hand started regaining movement. Uh, So now I am a lefty. Actually, my right hand is still paralyzed. But then also weeks later, I started getting movement throughout my body. Limited muscle control, but I can, can contract most of the muscles. In my body, I can stand bear weight. I say I am an odd quad.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: But, um, but I, and so I am stronger than most. And, and actually um, for years, uh, you know, really pushed because I didn't know what was going to come. Um, and actually the doctors didn't know either how much strength would come with the muscles throughout my body. But now it's just, and, and even after a couple of years, it was clear that it's just to a limited degree um, and would not be, actually it was more than more than that after the accident. But but actually during even my college years, um, I mean, I worked out daily with leg braces and a walker and didn't really know just where this was was um, going to end, you know, if, if maybe I would walk normally again someday. So that was part of my recovery process as well.
3: Yeah, it takes a long, a uh, lot longer than they tell you. Uh... They usually tell you that within the first six weeks, what you have is what you'll have. But that's really not true because that's what they told me. And I'm an incomplete T12. And they said I'd probably be in a chair my whole life. But I progressed much longer than after six weeks, you know, little bits at a time. And so you do, the, the human body is able to adapt and to... uh kind of recover. And I think a lot of it has to do with how you press it and you being kind of that competitive, you know, athlete, you probably, your body probably was in pretty decent shape when the accident happened, which is, you know, half the battle is what kind of shape are you in when, when you get injured because you have to work so hard to, uh, to power through.
2: You know, and Greg, I want, yeah. Go ahead, Mm Judy. I just want to comment too, just on that, that, that mental, Um, You know, adjusting to a disability and adjusting to a huge loss, You know, even though I had this conversation with the pastor late one night and that ended by nightmares, um, there still was going to be grief in my heart just dealing with this loss. And I I remember that, you know, that freshman year, um, honestly, I remember just wondering if I was ever going to laugh hard again. I, um, you know, just give a good old belly laugh. I just sensed that I was different. I sensed that things were not going to be the same ever again. Uh, and actually, it was, it was years, uh, I believe, that that um, I think I learned to, to deal with uh, that emotion, those, those, that, that sense of loss and those emotions um, going on inside in a healthy way. But it, it was over year, the years, I, I guess I would say, that God healed a broken heart. It, it, it didn't just happen, you know, even within a, in, within a year's period of time. Um, because there still was going to be grief that I would be experiencing with a different life.
3: And it seems like uh, for me and for others I've talked to that it takes, it took me about three years to really come full circle. Like year one, you know, year goes by pretty fast. You're still kind of, you know, pretty disabled. And year two, you've made some progress. But then by year three, you seem to at least have a pretty good handle on what my life is going to be like and how I need to get around and and et cetera. Does that sound like a pretty fair timeline for what you had to experience?
2: Interesting. And because I was uh, was in a power wheelchair during my college days, but then working out at the gym um, with these leg braces and walker, my senior year I had gotten so that I could walk for short distances with a cane again, very short distances, but my balance was coming, Um, I was doing a new therapy program that used electrical stimulation, this was again, you know, 35 years ago, Uh, but still, my muscles were getting stronger, so, so there's still, physically, I was still um, making some changes, but I I totally agree with you, yes, just on that, uh, that adjustment, like, okay, this is, you know, I can do this, you know, learning, um, it, it does take a few years, though, to I think get a a comfort level with a new body.
0: And I have a question just regarding when you were at Concordia, what did you notice as far as accessibility for like just wheelchair access into, you know, buildings and uh, just get a general getting around?
2: Yeah, that is so great. Um, Concordia said they would have an accessible dorm for me when I got there and I really wanted to be in the freshman dorm, which the the challenge with this was that uh, the freshman dorm, Hoyam, had three steps down to its first floor. And it would mean transferring from my power chair to my manual chair, and then the kids would take me up and down those three steps. And surprisingly, the administration said, you know what, okay, let's let her do it. I don't know um, if they would do that today. But anyway, um, but this was just, um, it actually was so, Good. I, I. It was not a. Um, I mean, I. I did this, and and um, I say, um, let me tell you, every every girl that lived in Hoyam dorm and their boyfriends that came to visit um, <laughs> knew how to take me up and down. They. I. They had wheelchair etiquette 101. Really. So they, would take, they would take me up and down those those steps. Whoever was there, it's like, okay, you know, can you help me? And so the the you know those kids would take me up and down. And so I had this this um, in my mind. I I had a full load of classes. I worked out uh, daily in the gym. I lived in the freshman dorm. I actually had a, ba- a boyfriend back home, so I didn't see myself as being that different than other, some other college freshmen. Uh, the next years, I did um, live in an accessible dorm that they had made. If I had classes in um, rooms, there was a couple of occasions when the classes were inaccessible dorms. They moved, I'm sorry, they were in, in inaccessible buildings. Uh, one particular building was not accessible to me at all. They moved that class to another, uh, another building. Um, I think there was the Normandy, um, a place, a social gathering. There were steps going into it. Uh, The bookstore was also in the basement of that building. I actually couldn't get into those buildings at all. So there definitely were um, uh, some limitations, but uh, the college was very accommodating.
3: That's
0: wonderful. That's so great because that would have been pre-ADA, you know, pre pre-americans with Disability is the act so that's wonderful that the the college was able to make special accommodations for your situation so that you could uh go continue on as a student like you had planned and intended yep.
2: yeah they, they be part of the
3: natural yeah social structure
2: yeah they were they were very supportive i remember i couldn't play uh with the women's basketball team but they uh, let me keep clock. So actually, I was at every uh, women's basketball game and kept the 32nd cl- clock with my one fully functioning hand. Yeah. And so I felt, I felt a part.
0: Absolutely. And the timekeeper is a very important part of the team too. Absolutely. It sure
2: is.
1: <laughs> So then
0: you, you didn't play basketball, but you later decided to start competing in the Paralympics. Um, So what, uh, what made you think about wanting to enter that, 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 that field or that activity?
2: Yeah. Wow. And interestingly, at the time, part of uh, the grief of my injury was just the idea that I was never going to be able to participate in sports again. What can a quadriplegic do in sports? Um, Yeah, right. There, there weren't the role models. There weren't the opportunities, at least in this part of the country. Um, to the degree certainly that they are uh, these days. So I, kind of how I first learned about um, wheelchair sports was probably about uh, 20 years after the accident, uh, well, a good 15, um, when um, I, I learned about the sport quad rugby, um, also known as murder ball, that was taken yeah. up, in Grand, up in Grand Forks. And um, a few of us with disabilities um, drove up to play with the North Dakota Wall Bangers. And I was like, so thrilled. I mean, I was, I love this quad rugby is very physical. Chairs are smashing each other. Bodies are flying. I mean, I was in my element. I mean, I, I just thought this was, uh, was so cool. Cause I was, I, I was comfortable being you know aggressive, you know, as a basketball player, but now I wasn't afraid to hit people in a wheelchair. And, um, so it was through quad rugby that, that I had the opportunity to connect with, with some athletes, you know, around the country that were in sports and, um, I remember my first national quad rugby tournament in San in San Jose, California, and I'm just picking the brains of these other quadriplegics because they're doing every sport. And um, some athletes there said, Judy, get into road racing. Find out where the running races are in your area, and cheers can be a part. Uh, this was mid-'90s, actually. And um, I came back from this national quad rugby tournament, and I ordered my own um, through some connections that I – had ordered my own three-wheeled lightweight streamlined chair, and started taking part in area races. Even at that time didn't wasn't aware of what the Paralympics was. but I saw that my times were improving and so I entered some competitions and uh, this athlete in me was, was coming to the surface again.
3: Well, you were a, uh, yeah, you were an athlete athletic store, you know, before the accident, right? So naturally, you're competing uh you got to the national level and then you obviously uh, must have qualified right is there a qualification process for the Paralympics like there are other okay so you qualified and that was your first one was back in 1996 is that correct
2: correct correct so when I learned about this Paralympic about the Paralympics it's like oh my word could I participate in this you know and I didn't know it was possible, but I again, as athlete in me was coming out. So I, I ordered um, videotapes to be, you know, be learning how to be racing better. I, um, I ordered the magazine called Sports and Spokes, which was kind of a Sports Illustrated. Magazine. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, you know, I so just to, uh, I and then dead. I, <laughs> okay, I actually then traveled down. I learned about through Sports and Spokes. I learned about the 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 program at the University of Illinois in Champaign. Uh, where some of the best athletes in the world were training. And so I, I, I contacted them and I went down and trained with them. Again, just wanting to um, be seeing, you know, is this something that I could do? And, and um, then found out the meets, the, the times that I needed to be running to make the, the Paralympic teams. And, and yes, Atlanta um, in 96 was my first Paralympics. Um, that was cool because my, my family could, could come to, to that one. I had some nieces and nephews and my parents and brother and sister and their spouses. So they uh, cheered me on down there. And then uh, two years later, I did World Games in England. And then I did the Pan Am Games in Mexico City in 99. And then Sydney, Australia, uh, the Paralympics was my my last, my last competition with wheelchair racing. Cause I tore a tendon in my wrist at that, uh, <laughs> with that event.
3: Yeah, at the 2000, uh, now, but prior to that, no, back to 96, now you ran uh, in a number of races, right? I mean, you had uh, several distances that you participated in, and you set a record in '96, did you not?
2: Uh, not with the Paralympics. I set I set some national records in national, in '97. Uh, I think the 1500 is, is the only one that continues to hold. Uh, wow be, be held today, but that's um, crazy. Yeah, that was at, at, at the national level which was kind of exciting.
3: And then at the 2000 games, uh, you were competing and you competed in, uh, had you gotten through some of the distances before you got injured or?
2: You know what? I actually injured, um, my wrist that summer and actually tore the tendon during the summer or or severely stretched it. And so I was actually, um, training on an injured one and they put. Um, they did a cortisone shot in it before I competed in the games. And so I um, I wasn't running my best times at the games, but um, I did more damage to it at, at with the event and just really um, felt that year that my, my shoulders were getting getting kind of worn out too. And yeah. um, just the positioning in the racing chair is, is hard on shoulders. And I thought, you know what? I need my arms the rest of my life. Yeah, And um, it just, um, even the though the the tendon that I tore was in my, my right paralyzed hand. It's like, you know what, you don't want to lose more function in any part of your body. And so I just thought, you know what, Uh, I've had eight, eight years of competitive racing and it's just time to, to move on.
3: Quite a run for sure. Now, did you, uh, did you have to do any um, kind of surgical work to that tendon or did they just let it heal on its own?
2: Nope, they did. They did a, um, they um, did a, a repair. So I've got had a scar in my, in my wrist area, but it healed well, but still I did lose a little bit, um, that wrist flexion with it. And again, you, you, you don't want to have to lose function.
3: No, you definitely, uh, do, you don't think about it really so much when you're younger, but as you do start to, you know, feel those, uh, stiffnesses and, uh, things kind of wearing down, you definitely start thinking about uh, self-preservation at some point. Yep. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Are you able to do other activities at all, uh, like uh, swimming or?
2: Yeah, you know, just other sports that I've gotten into. I guess over the years, um, I, I love to swim because you're weightless, pretty much in the water. And yeah, and I'd been a, a good swimmer before I was injured, um, but I also gotten into downhill skiing. Love that with you so i'm doing a, doing a sit ski uh, the poles are called outriggers outriggers with a they have a mini ski on on the ends and um, actually i was skied tethered so i had somebody skiing behind me with reins kind of like reins, reins for a horse but anyway just help me control my speed if i can't quite make a turn um, but phenomenal experience um, and um, i've done um, sled hockey um, uh, in more recent more recent years which is just a blast wow <laughs> um, and i'm um, up oh, my kind of I think one of my favorite sports with team competition to participate in now is is softball Uh, and there's a group Hope Incorporated in Fargo that um, provides sport opportunities for people with mobility challenges and and um, just love um, going to the softball field um, and playing playing ball with them during the summer months.
3: Wow well that's certainly (laughs) a lot of activities there I mean I Who was, was there anybody else doing downhill racing at that time and I mean, that seems crazy to me. I mean, I'm kind of extreme and uh, I skied before but I can't even imagine downhill skiing once I was disabled.
2: You know, it is a a phenomenal feeling to um, have uh, the wind in your face and just getting speed. Um, You don't have to have a lot of strength to, um, actually really get cruising on these slopes. And I was just, I just was on the green slopes, which is the beginning slopes, but it yeah. was just, it was so, but, but I would go with coworkers. And so they, they would ski on their heels and I would there go to places where there's a disabled ski program, um, going on. And, and, um, so no, it's fun. And, and I wasn't a, uh, a competitive downhill skier. So for me, well, sure. it, it was just, um, me and, and um, my ski instructor on the slopes uh, for the majority of the time, but it, it we I just loved it.
3: It's the thrill of the uh, you get the adrenaline going, right? Yeah. The need, uh, the competitiveness, the excitement of uh, of all of it, and uh, certainly you've been an inspiration as far as uh, not just sitting in your chair for crying out loud. I mean, being able to. <laughs> participate in, uh, the, the, uh, wheelchair racing, downhill skiing, uh, sled hockey, which is, I just learned about that recently. I don't, couldn't believe it's been going all, on all that long, but that's certainly a, a go get them sport too. So, so kudos to you. It certainly helps uh, keep a person active and, you know, keep them younger, keep you involved, you know,
2: well, and as you're saying, just, I mean, our health is important at all stages of life and, and really working out on a daily, on a, on a fairly daily basis is part of what I need to do just to be keeping up my strength as a quadriplegic. And um, so I do actually have an exercise bike um, in my apartment with electrodes. So um, they help my legs to, uh, to pedal the bike. But then I also um, am fortunate that I, I can walk still at parallel bars and, and I'll, I'll walk for half an hour a day just again because I'm it keeps me up and and am um, really? healthy yeah to be um, using what I've got
3: so Judy do you go somewhere to, to do the your workout routine or like to a gym facility or
2: you know what I, I did for years when I was working at the hospital I had access to the parallel bars there and now the last 12 years I've been've been not had access to parallel bars but just a couple of years ago I moved to Edgewood Vista in Fargo, it's a senior living complex that has uh, parallel bars in their gym. And so um, I can be, have access to those every day.
3: So you walk that much Mm -hmm. per day and you're, wow, that's incredible. I feel, uh, I feel like a lazy bum right now because uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can walk, you know, with arm crutches, but as I've gotten older, I spend almost all of my time in my manual wheelchair and when I hear you that that kind of motivates me to get to start getting after it a little bit
2: you know I actually went back to a power chair though a couple of years ago I had a rotator cuff surgery and so um, had been in the manual chair for you know 35 years and then um, then uh, with this rotator cuff surgery my doctor said that just my arms are wearing out so so I, I'm not getting a lot of exercise or movement as you do in the manual chair even. And and so, um, this is this is good for me.
3: Yep, indeed.
1: Judy, um, I, I know you wrote a book in 2005. What was the inspiration behind it? Oh, great question. At
2: the time, I was working for the hospital and I was given this uh, kind of a community relations role after my competition in, in Australia. And they let me tell my story and, and speak. And actually um, writing a book was just another way to hopefully bring encouragement to people. The book is Living Without Limits, 10 Keys to Unlocking the Champion with You. And um, I, I guess I felt that everybody has challenges. I was dealing with physical challenges, but, you know, um, life isn't easy for anybody. And, and so I, I wanted to um, just share just some, some of my story and ways to meet challenges with others to hopefully encourage
1: them.
3: Fantastic.
1: What type of what type of progress have you seen in the in the in the disability movement in the next 10 years? Wow,
2: well, you know what I Yeah, you know what there there certainly has been changes and improvements in in accessibility and for people with disabilities I think to be out to be active um, in our our community, we're we're not we're not there yet. I think I feel very fortunate. I feel really blessed to be in to live in the United States, where we have, you know, curb cuts and um, um, requirements made made for, you know, for for buildings to be accessible. I remember being on a on a panel years ago with a, a gentleman who's from Mongolia, and he said, you know, my country just doesn't have. resources to mandate that things be accessible and so you know generally i I think things are 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 good and and i I hope and continue to expect that they will continue to progress i think kids are given opportunities in school again there are there's challenges but i i'm hoping that anyway that there are that there continues to be an awareness uh, of the need for support to To these kids and families, to uh, so that they can be a part and uh, pursue their dreams as well.
3: Yeah, I I think you would agree, Brad. Inclusion and support is a big part of that whole.
1: That's everything, you know, basically. And, uh, and so, yeah, really, the disabled mean, community is like a one big, big, big family, and if we can. Help each other out, like people like uh, uh, Hunter Pinky and those that are just newly disabled. Uh, you know, he—I mean, he's doing excellent. I mean, he's—he doesn't let any grass grow under his wheels, that's for sure. But um, <laughs> very a positive individual, and that's very cool. So. Um, uh-
2: no. Absolutely. We're in this together and we need each other to cheer for one another and encourage one another and, and, and to, to brainstorm. How, how can we make it happen and, and work together? Yeah, I love just that, that concept of, of sometimes I need help and sometimes I can be a support to someone else and offer that help to,
1: to them. Yeah. Well, what would you say to somebody that was recently disabled, that was recently disabled?
2: Wow, you can do this. Uh, Dream big, work hard, network, don't let fears keep you from stepping out.
3: Yeah, those are some pretty powerful words. We can't dwell
2: on what we, uh, I I guess it was in the first years after my accident, I realized I couldn't dwell on what I had lost. I needed to put my energy into what I had and what was working, and we have so much to be grateful for. I have so much to be thankful for.
0: So our the title of our show um as you know is living with a disability no big deal. So for you know four decades 40 years you you know went from you know started out your first part of your life you know as what we call able bodied um then entered the disability you know community um and have a lived a phenomenal life um you know overcame some things but had some awesome awesome experiences. And then last summer, I guess you started a new chapter in your life, in your phenomenal life. So t- tell us about that.
2: You know, I got married. Awesome.
3: How did that come about?
2: Oh, There's yeah. got to be
3: a story there.
2: Actually, there is. And I, gentleman that I was involved in the car accident with, he and I uh, reconnected. actually, Dean was teaching his first year in pelican rapids and it was my senior year of high school where we met Uh, we were in the car accident together in august before i went off to college and uh, and actually dated for a couple years and then we were kind of just in 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 different areas of life and so we we parted ways and then um, uh, he married someone else and i went on with my life and then um, he reached out to me a, a couple years ago, he went through a divorce, and um, it was actually just after I had my rotator cuff surgery. So I was rehabbing at a transitional living facility in town, and um, so I was at kind of at my lowest point physically again. Oh um, but anyway, we ended up uh, starting to date, um, uh, uh, re- reconnected a, a couple months later, and yeah, got married this past July 3rd.
3: Wow, uh, that is certainly full circle. So he was in the car that day. Was he injured at all? Or
2: yeah, he broke some bones, um, but is is doing 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 fine today. Okay. Yeah.
3: Wow. So he went off to uh, you went off to Concordia, and he went off somewhere else after the after the accident.
2: Um, he was still in in Pelican Rapids, and so I was just kind of getting into the college scene and. He continued with his career, then moved out to, Cal- to California for 20 years. So I started, our lives went. He was, he's also Concordia graduate, so we would see each other. Uh, we saw each other about every four or five years probably, and just by happenstance kind of. And
3: Well, you probably didn't see too much of each other after that accident, did you?
2: <laughs> you know what? He kind of stayed at my side for, for, for a couple years.
3: Is that uh, he, right? He,
2: he was still in Pelican, yeah, and you know we were both young and just at different different places in life, and I, yeah, um, yeah, but so it, it was right to break up then, and and just needed to 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 do other things, I guess, but that that we would have the the opportunity and and um, that it was right to come back and you know pursue a relationship this time around. It it it, it was supposed to be, I guess.
3: Yeah, Yeah. strange how that all comes full circle. Yeah. Um, Yep. Bradley, did you have any uh, other questions here before we
1: think about... Yeah, we were talking about the organization called Hope. Were you... I was also there... um, I can't remember the the little boy's name, but the the Extreme Homico main house in Moorhead. And correct. Believe, and I believe his mother or father, or something—I I could be wrong on this—but his parents had something to do with Hope, or they started it, or something like that. Am I correct in saying that?
2: Correct. Correct. And and so they're just so I—I really am a part of two Hope in, um, organizations. So that Hope Incorporated is the sports program for people with mobility challenge, challenges—a phenomenal right. program. Yeah. And so then just, and just so you know, so I, and I work also at Hope Lutheran Church and that's another (laughs) hope. So I have to make sure that people are clear on- um,
1: Okay, because I was on on the Extreme Makeover TV show when they spell out the word hope in this big field over by the new complex. And I believe it was Moorhead. Yes. Yeah, and uh, that was an interesting uh, 14 hours we had to spend outside Hey, because we had to wait for the lighting to come just perfectly. Oh Every my god, we, had to meet the whole, we got to meet the whole cast of extreme homemaker like uh, Ty and you know all of them, but yeah, we don't want to put his horn away because he made me jump all the time. Everybody uh. was, he would jump, you know, but uh.
2: <laughs> oh, Brad, you're bringing Brad back great memories, yes. So, um so I, cause I was there. I, I, I saw you then too, probably we, um, <laughs> we were at- I
1: mean, We went into each other. I mean, so um, we had to sign a lot of papers to do that though, didn't we, for um, CBS, I believe it was, or ABC. I can't remember. ABC, wasn't it? I can't remember, but uh, we had to spend the first half hour just filling out papers, just to sit there.
2: Absolutely. In fact, they were astounded at how many wheelchairs came, came to participate.
1: Wow.
2: Um, And in fact, wheelchairs were coming out of the woodwork. I mean, so it kind of like, um, it it was a, it was, it was a world record. So we set a Guinness world record, man. I used to know that number, but it was um, hundreds of wheelchairs that spelled out hope uh, the name of this sports program. And I gave some sports chairs to the program Mm -hmm. and um, Jen, I had asked for um, Rotarians to help with parking cars. And I remember, um, I remember, um, we needed, um, I said, we've got to have accessible porta potties at the Miracle Field because, you know, because just as Brad was saying, we were going to be out, we were out there for hours, and you don't want one accessible bathroom. And so, um, so anyway, but mm-hmm. uh, the Rotarians, we, we made the connection and got accessible porta potties. That was, that was just a great, great memory. My yes. God,
1: we, we had to be there early in the morning, and we sat there till. Well, I don't know, quarter to five in the evening or something like that. Yep. One shot. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, So
0: Brad, I guess I was there too. And you and I, I mean, that was long before you and I would have known each other. But what Judy is talking about is, so we we were uh, members of the same Rotary Club. That's how her and I initially met. And where Mm -hmm. that was at to have all of the people in wheelchairs put get together in the field to spell out the word hope.
1: Mm-hmm. It was
0: right next to a project that we did called the uh, the Miracle Field which was a, an accessible like a, a T-ball size baseball field but it was yeah. a rubberized surface for, yeah. you know, kids in wheelchairs to play, yeah. to play baseball. So
1: So you know, it was it was interesting but would I do it again? Probably not, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, but
3: world record hundreds of chairs. Boy, the word must have gotten out, huh?
1: Yeah, they put it on, they put it on the news, I believe. And uh, we all going,
3: so it's yeah. hard to get wheelchair users out in any number, much less hundreds.
1: That's amazing. I think there was three, I think there was three, four hundred people there, when I'm mistaken.
2: Yeah, that's
1: incredible. Yeah, and and plus,
2: what are the weather conditions going to be like? And I remember um, when I when I got a call actually from one of the producers of Extreme Makeover because he was telling me to to um, he said Judy, do you think we can set a world record by you know um, by doing this by um, collect, having all these wheelchairs come to the to um, to the Miracle Field? Uh, and I said, oh, I'm sure we can do it. I'm sure we can do it. And then I remember hanging up the phone and I'm thinking, what? Earth, are <laughs> you? What say. have I done? I mean, a world <laughs> record by Friday. I mean, it was just like, you know, what's the weather gonna be like? People in wheelchairs, you're talking about transportation issues. It was it was bizarre, but it was like it was a it was a beautiful day and um it all came together well.
1: But it was cool. <laughs> what it was, was really I saying cool. you're thinking? Yeah. I had a lot of we had a lot of fun, even though it was hot.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, Jennifer, what do you think? Do you have any questions here as we uh, kind of wrap to close?
0: You know, I think we've covered a lot. And I, I would just like to thank Judy for coming on and uh, be willing, being willing to share, you know, her story with us. Um, and Judy, I know that you've done a lot of public speaking. Um, are you still available for, you know, public speaking?
2: Oh, Yeah, probably. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a COVID year, so there has, it's been pretty quiet, but um, you know what, if if I can be an encouragement to, 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 to people, absolutely.
0: Okay. Fantastic. And I know you have a a website. Um, It's uh, JudySigley.com there where there's info and can people contact you through the website there?
2: That would be great.
0: Awesome.
3: Well, great. Yeah. Judy's been an exciting guest. I mean, for all of you out there, um, encouragement, uh, definitely a shot in the arm type person, uh, willing to just lift people up. Uh, Paralympian, author, public speaker. She's she's definitely not one to uh, sit and let the moss grow for sure. So uh, Judy, thank you so much for joining us on the program. I know the listeners are just going to uh, have a great time listening to uh, to you and your story and uh, all the things that you've uh, you've been through and uh, pulled yourself up and continue to continue to just live a good life, it sounds like. So appreciate you Thank being you. here today.
2: Thank you. It has been a joy to connect with each of you.
1: Thank you, Judy. You
2: are welcome.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of Living with a Disability, No Big Deal podcast. Thank you all, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. Sponsored by Roller Ramp. This podcast features Brad Gabrielson, who encourages everyone with a disability to live life to the fullest. Roller Ramp is a global company based in North Dakota dedicated to helping people find solutions to accessibility needs. We hope you'll join us again next time on Living with a Disability, No Big Deal.